0: Acts chapter 13. We're going to read, to open up, verses 13 through 23. Acts thirteen, thirteen through 23. I'm going to stay in Acts 13. I'm going to mention several other passages. I'm not going to turn to those passages. You can write those down. Go back and look them up. Study them in your study time. Or you can listen to the sermon on the website. When I get it up there and you can go back over them. But I'm just going to mention them because I don't want to bear too much away or take up too much time with other texts. I just want to stay in Acts 13. Acts 13, beginning at verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia in Pamphylia. John, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Persia and reached Antioch in Pisidia. On the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any message of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Then standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and spoke, Men of Israel, and you who fear the Almighty, listen. The Almighty of this people Israel chose our forefathers, exalted the people during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about forty years he put up with them in the desert. Then after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land to them as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. So the Almighty gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. After removing him... He raised up David as their king, of whom he testified, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, according to the promise, the Almighty brought the Savior, Yeshua, to Israel. May Yahweh bless His words to our hearts today. I'm going to teach on a subject that rarely gets talked about in Christian churches today. I find that fascinating. I've been doing a lot of studying in the book of Acts, and I find it fascinating that some of the key points that the early apostles, the first apostles of our Lord, brought out in their salvation sermons, you rarely or never would probably be a better term to use because I don't know if I've ever heard it preached on. I'm sure somebody out there has done it. But you rarely to never hear these points get brought up in salvation sermons today. Now, what I'm talking about is this. We've been discussing David. We talked about how that David was a man after Yahweh's own heart. And primarily that meant that David's heart was inclined to obey the law of Yahweh. That didn't mean David was a perfect man, meaning sinless. He wasn't sinless. He wasn't flawless. We discussed a major flaw yesterday in David's life. So, To be a man with the heart of Yahweh, which means the mindset of Yahweh, the purpose of Yahweh, meant his heart was inclined to do the law of Yahweh. And then last night we talked about that when he failed to uphold Yahweh's standard, he was quick to humble himself, and he was quick to ask Yahweh for forgiveness, and he was quick to repent. We read that beautiful psalm in Psalm chapter 51. It's a beautiful psalm, and that's the psalm of of repentance that David wrote uh for what he had done in the matter of Uriah in 2 Samuel chapter eleven through twelve. So today, this is going to be the last part of the, the series, the sermon series, we're going to talk about how that David not only was a man after Yahweh's heart, and not only was a man of humiliation and repentance, but David was a man who was chosen by Yahweh to have the Messiah come through His lineage. In other words, the promised Messiah was promised to come through the progeny or the seed, the physical line of King David. Now that's not a point that gets brought up in salvation sermons today, but both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul bring that point up in their salvation sermons. Peter in Acts chapter 2 and Paul here in Acts chapter 13. Notice in Acts thirteen twenty-three, Paul says, from this man's descendants. And he's talking about comes the Messiah. What man's descendants? David. King David. Yahweh loved David so much that he chose to bring the promised Messiah through the lineage of King David. This isn't just talked about in the book of Acts. It will surprise a lot of people to find that this is a point that is stressed by many of the authors in the New Testament. Let me give you a quick perusal through the Bible and you can write these texts down as we go. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, there's a prophecy. And the prophecy says something like this. There will come forth a shoot out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch will grow from his roots. That's parallelism. It's saying the same thing in two different ways. It says, the spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and truth, this shoot that grows out of the stump of Jesse. The idea in Isaiah 11 is this, is that it looks like because there's been so much sin and problems going on in David's lineage that it's going to be completely wiped away. But Yahweh says through the prophet Isaiah, No, it's not going to be completely wiped away. I have made a promise to King David, and that promise is going to be fulfilled in the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate Mashiach, the ultimate anointed one. And although Jesse, who is David's dad, Jesse's David's father, although Jesse looks like a stump, there's going to be a shoot grow forth from a stump. You ever seen a, a stump out in the woods, and then it looks like a vibrant? shoot is growing out of it with these green leaves. That's the picture that Isaiah 11 is is portraying there. That is actually quoted by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 15. Paul quotes about this shoot that comes forth from the stump of Jesse. Jesse being the father of David, notice David's lineage. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, the first verse of what we commonly refer to as the New Testament... Says this: This is the book of the generations of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Son of David means the descendant of David. In the Bible, son of often carries the idea of descendant, and not that you're a direct son of the person that you're the son of. So Matthew one verse one starts off. The author says the book of the generation. That word generation is the Genesis, which means the origin of Yeshua, that's where he began, the origin of Yeshua, the son of David. Mark ten forty-six through 52, we have a blind man. I believe his name is Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. And Bartimaeus recognizes that the promised Messiah is to be from the lineage of David. And that's probably because he knows the Scriptures. And so... When he hears that Yeshua of Nazareth is coming to the city, he cries out to him and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we see that Yeshua did heal him of his blindness. But he refers to him as Son of David. Luke 1, this is a great one right here. Luke 1, 32 through 33. This is the instance where the angel Gabriel is sent from Yahweh to a young virgin who is betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. Now, I personally believe that Miriam was also a physical descendant of David's lineage. I believe it has to be that way uh, for Yeshua to be a physical descendant of David's lineage. But in Luke 1, verse 32, Gabriel is telling this young virgin teenage girl, he says, you're going to have a child, he's going to be great, and he'll be called the son of the Most High. And then it says, and the Lord God, and that's talking about Yahweh, will give him, him as Yeshua, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Luke 1, 32-33. Gabriel, sent from Yahweh, made a point to tell the young virgin Miriam that Yeshua, her, her child, the son of the Most High, he would inherit the throne of his father, meaning ancestor, David. Romans 1, 1-4. The Apostle Paul starts off his letter to the Roman church by saying or speaking about Yeshua the Messiah and he says, "...the descendant of David, according to the flesh, but declared to be the Son of the Almighty, according to the Spirit, with power." by the resurrection from the dead. We're going to talk about that resurrection here momentarily in Acts chapter 13. Now this is good because Paul makes a point in Romans 1, 1 through 4, to say that Yeshua is the Son of David according to the flesh. And if we're familiar, if we just back up to the verse I talked about in Luke chapter 1, we see that not only is Yeshua the Son of David, but He's also the Son of Yahweh by means of the virgin conception. Uh, remember, after Gabriel got through talking to the young virgin teenage woman, Mary or Miriam, uh, she she knew biology. She was old enough to understand how things worked. And she said, how is this possible? How is this going to happen seeing I know not a man, mean, meaning I've never been intimate with a man? How is this going to happen? And Gabriel says, the Spirit of the Most High will come upon you and the power of of the highest will overshadow you therefore the Holy One that will be born in you will be called the Son of God or the Son of Yahweh and so he's the Son of Yahweh by means of the miraculous conception that's the the reason that the angel Gabriel gives for him being the Son of Yahweh the miraculous conception but yet he's the Son of David or the descendant of David according to the flesh why? why? because of his mom, and then you might say his adopted father, Joseph of the house of David. Revelation 5, 1 through 7. Revelation 5, we have this vision. And in this vision, we have one seated on the throne. That's Yahweh. Yahweh the Father. He's seated on the throne. And then all of a sudden, well, let me back up a second. In all of heaven and in all of earth, there wasn't found anybody that was worthy to open the book and to loose the seals that was in the hand of Yahweh in Revelation 5. And then all of a sudden, there comes one, like as having been slain like a lamb. And that one stands for Yeshua the Messiah. And he comes and he takes the book out of the hand of the one that seated on the throne. And it says that he was found worthy to open the book and to loose the seals. And then it calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. David. David is he's continuously mentioned as important. He's an important figure when it comes to the Messiah. So here we have, remember that shoot that grows forth out of Jesse? Well, it's the same thing when it calls him the root of David in Revelation 5. It's the same thing. It's the root shoot. It's the root that grows out of the seed of David. And then in Revelation 22, verse 16, we have Yeshua himself. He says, I have sent my angel. Yeshua actually has angels now, that he's been exalted to the right hand of Yahweh. He has angels under his authority. For a little while, he was made lower than the angels. But once he was resurrected, he's high and far above all the angels. So Yeshua himself says, I have sent my angel to testify these things to the churches. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. David. He actually says, i come from David. I'm David's descendant. And then last but certainly not least, in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter brings forth a miraculous, wonderful sermon in the book of Acts chapter 2, and he stresses David in the sermon. And you read, if you read Acts chapter 2, the salvation sermon that the Apostle Peter preaches sounds almost entirely different from most salvation sermons that preacher's preach today. Most of them never bring up David at all. But the Apostle Peter mentions specifically David, and Peter gives us a glimpse into the spiritual realm because Peter says that a lot of times when David would, would speak over here in the Psalms, he would be the one speaking, but really he was speaking as though he was the Messiah. But Peter tells us, look, when David spoke, he wasn't specifically talking about himself. He was talking about one of his descendants. Peter actually makes that point in Acts chapter 2. David was talking about one of his descendants. So when you read like Psalm 16, Psalm 16, I think uh, 10 through 11 is the one that Peter quotes. You have David saying, I foresaw Yahweh before my face. And we read that in Psalm 16 and we think, well, that's, that's David talking about himself. But Peter tells us that's actually Yeshua saying, I foresaw Yahweh before my face. When David said you won't leave my soul in hell. That's actually Yeshua saying, you won't leave my soul in hell. When David said, you won't suffer your Holy One to see corruption, that's actually Yeshua saying, you won't suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Not that Yeshua of Nazareth was back there when the Psalms were written, but David being a prophet and foreseeing the resurrection of Christ spoke about that. That his descendant from his loins would not be left in the grave. So David is the ancestor of, of Yeshua, Yahweh loved David so much that he chose to use David as the vehicle through which Yeshua's lineage would, would come forth. This isn't a minor point. This is a point that is stressed in the Bible. So we come to Acts chapter 13 and we see that the Apostle Paul is preaching a salvation sermon. He was there at the synagogue with some of his Christian brothers and when they read the Law and the Prophets the Judahites there at the synagogue that were not Christian brothers, but they were physical kinsmen, they told Paul, they said, Brothers, if you got anything to say, you stand up and you say it. And Paul took advantage of it. He stood up and he brings forth, really brings forth the gospel. He brings forth the gospel of Yeshua. Because that's what they need. We're going to see that a lot of them didn't receive it. But that's what the people need. And so in Acts thirteen twenty two again, Paul preaches and he says, After removing him, removing Saul, he raised up David as their king of whom he testified. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will carry out all my will. And the who will carry out all my will is defined by the next verse. It's not just carry out all my will to obey the law or carry out all my will to be a man of repentance. It's carry out all my will because through David is going to come the Messiah. That's why in the next verse, Paul says from this man's descendants according to the promise the Almighty brought the Savior Yeshua to Israel. From what man's descendants? From David. From David's descendants. Now, there's a few times in the New Testament where Yeshua is referred to as the Savior. And I believe that some people in some denominations get that confused and think that because he's called the Savior that that must mean that he has to be Yahweh. Because in Isaiah 43 and 11, Yahweh says, I am the Savior and beside me there is no Savior. And by the way, I believe that Isaiah 43 and 11 means exactly what it says. I believe Yahweh the Father is the only Savior, not Yeshua. Yahweh is the only Savior. However, What that does not mean is that Yahweh cannot use His creation in His salvation process. And if you look in the book of Acts, here when Yeshua is called the Savior, notice in the context that He's called the Savior. It says that God brought the Savior, Yeshua, to Israel. So Yeshua is not the Savior on His own accord. He's a derivative. He's the given Savior. Peter makes the same point in Acts chapter 5 when Peter's preaching his, uh, I think it's his fourth salvation sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Peter says, speaking of Yeshua, he says, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and then he says something else about the exaltation of of Yeshua. It says that Yahweh has raised up a Savior to Israel. Notice again, it's the derivative. It's a co-author, so to speak. So uh, we see this in the Old Testament too. We see that even though Yahweh says He's the only Savior, that in the book of Judges, chapter 3, there's three men by the name of Ehud, Othniel, and Shamgar that are all three of them are called saviors. And it says that Yahweh raised them up to save Israel. Same word, yasha, in Hebrew, that Yahweh says He's the only one of in Isaiah 43 and 11. He says, I'm the only yasha, but yet He calls Ehud, Othniel, and Shamgar all yasha. They're all saviors. There's also a context to Isaiah chapter 43 that most people miss. We don't want to just quote one verse and leave out the context. In Isaiah chapter 43, when Yahweh says He's the only Savior, if you read chapter 42 and chapter 43, both chapters are about the gods of the other nations, which, by the way, are represented by wood, stone, idols, but they're actually inhabited by demonic spirits. The, uh, the gods of the other nations are really mighty ones. They really have power. That's who the Egyptian sorcerer called upon. And the other nations believed that their, their gods, they, when they worshipped an idol, they weren't dumb. They didn't worship that actual idol. They worshipped the spirit that inhabited or housed that idol. They looked at the idol as a house for that demonic spirit. And so that's why when the Bible says Yahweh is the God of gods, it's not saying He's the God of idols. He's the God of all the other gods, angelic beings and things of that nature. So Isaiah 42 and 43 is talking about the gods of the other nations. And that's why Yahweh said, "All of these, I saved you and not any of the foreign gods. I'm the only Savior. That's the context. Isaiah 43 isn't talking about that Yahweh cannot raise up men to save through, save his people through, it's not the context, but that he's the Savior and not the gods of the other nations. You know, Yahweh could do things all by himself if he wanted to. Uh, He could snap his finger and, um, you know, he could heal Brother Dennis right now if he wanted to. Yahweh could save all by himself. But we don't get to decide how Yahweh saves. Yahweh gets to decide how he saves. And the way that he brings about our salvation is by raising up this, this man, his, Yahweh's son, but also the son of David, the lineage of David, he raises up this Savior to the nation of Israel and he saves through, through him. Why does he do that? Why does he use his angelic beings? Why did he send Gabriel to talk to Miriam to tell her about her son? Why didn't Yahweh just come himself? I can't answer all those questions, but I do know this, is that Yahweh created us and he loves us and he loves to use us. You know He loves to use his angels. When he wanted to speak to Daniel, he spoke to Daniel through Gabriel. Same thing when he wanted to speak to Miriam. And when he wants to bring about salvation, he chose to actually birth his Messiah through a Davidic lineage and he brought the Savior Yeshua to Israel. Verse 24. Before he came to public attention, John had previously proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. That's talking about John the baptizer. Then as John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not the one. But look, someone is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. I think we can take a a humility lesson from John there. John the Baptist, probably greater than all of us, says that he's not worthy to loosen the sandal strap on the feet of Yeshua. That's a humble statement. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear the Almighty, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. Now remember, Paul, he's standing up in the synagogue. He's preaching to these men. And he says, look, the message of this salvation is sent to us, sent to all of us here in the synagogue today. What does he mean, the message of this salvation? He's talking about Yeshua, the Messiah. Verse 27. For the residents of Jerusalem... And their rulers, since they did not recognize Him or the voices of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled their words by condemning Him. Though they found no grounds for the death penalty, they asked Pilate to have Him killed. So Paul is now going back to when Yeshua was sentenced to death. Remember they had a tribunal there about Yeshua, but the witnesses never agreed. They could never find reason to put Him to death. And Pilate even washed His hands. And I think it was his wife that had a dream and she said, you don't need to get involved with this and you need to steer clear from judging this man. This is a righteous man. Pilate washed his hands of it. But the, the Judahite leaders, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, put him to death, put him to death. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Verse 29, when they had fulfilled all that had been written about him, and that's specifically talking about written about his, his death, how he would die, Isaiah 53. They took him down from the tree and they put him in a tomb, but the Almighty raised him from the dead. Now here's where Paul is going to talk about the resurrection. Now I've always known that the resurrection of Yeshua is very important, but I've never known how important it was until I began to study the salvation sermons in the book of Acts. This is the point that is stressed more than any other point, that Yahweh raised Yeshua from the dead. It's actually mentioned, if I, I get them mixed up, it's either 18 or 19 times in the Bible that it says that Yahweh raised Yeshua from the dead. And Paul in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, says that that's one of the things that we must confess with our mouth, that Yahweh raised Yeshua from the dead in order to be saved. Romans ten nine through 10. So that's Paul's point right here. Verse 31, And he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So when Yeshua was raised from the dead, he didn't directly go to Father Yahweh. Proof of that, if you take notes, proof of that is in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, after Yeshua was raised from the dead, remember Mary mistook Him for the gardener after He was resurrected. And they got to talking and she found out, hey, this isn't the gardener. <laughs> this, is, this is Yeshua. This is the one that, w- that was crucified. We were singing one night for a band rehearsal. And after we were rehearsing, uh, Sister Denise was playing the song, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And we sing that song, and sometimes we sing songs out of habit at church, and we don't think about what they really mean. And she, as she was playing that, Yahweh blessed me with a thought, and my thought was this, could you imagine, even though that song wasn't back there with you, Yeshua's first disciples. But could you imagine what that song meant to Yeshua's personal friends that had watched Him be crucified on the tree at Calvary and they thought it's all over with? Our brother's gone. And then all of a sudden, Yahweh raises Him from the dead on the third day. Could you imagine how loud they would sing because He lives? I can face tomorrow. I thought he was dead. I mean, these are people that actually walked with him and talked with him and supped with him and knew him. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's a that's a beautiful thought. So he appeared when he resurrected. That's what I was getting to in John chapter 20. Mary found out it was Yeshua. She was probably overjoyed. And he didn't go directly to the Father. He he appeared to, I think it was over 500 Brothers, over 500 people. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 5 He appeared to many people, proving the resurrection. Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15. And he tells Mary, he says, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to your brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, Yahweh is the God of Yeshua. Yeshua worships Yahweh as His mighty one. So Yeshua didn't go directly to the Father. He, he stayed there on earth and appeared to his brothers and his sisters in the faith. Verse 31 again, And he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our forefathers. God the Almighty has fulfilled this to us, their children, that's the descendants of the Israelites, by raising up Yeshua, now he's still talking about the resurrection, as it is written in the second Psalm, we call it Psalm chapter 2 verse 7, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, that is Acts 13, 33. Sometimes in the past, and maybe you've done this too, you read that verse or you hear somebody quote that verse You are my son, today I have begotten you, and you automatically, your mind goes to the virgin birth. Now, I do believe that Yeshua was begotten by the Holy Spirit, not the aid of a man, natural man, but begotten by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the virgin woman. Okay? But that's not what Psalm 2 is talking about. And that's not what Acts 13 is talking about. The word begotten means brought forth. And one of the times that Yahweh brought forth Yeshua was in the womb of the virgin, But another time that Yahweh brought forth Yeshua was He brought Him forth from the dead. And that's what Psalm 2 is saying. It wasn't saying that Yahweh just became His Father when He resurrected Him. But He's saying, You are My Son, and this day, on Resurrection Day, I have brought You forth from the dead. That's the context of Acts 13, so that must be the context of Psalm chapter 2. And notice in this salvation sermon, Paul stresses, that Yeshua is Yahweh's Son. Yahweh's Son. Verse 34. Since He raised Him from the dead, that He is Yahweh, that Him is Yeshua, since He raised Him from the dead, never to return to decay, He has spoken in this way, I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. Made to David. If you're familiar with the King James Version, it talks about the sure mercies of David. Well, we might can think about what that meant back then, but the ultimate fulfillment of the sure mercies of David or the faithful covenant blessings of David was the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, the descendant of King David. That was the sure mercies of David. Yeshua experienced them because He he was not left in the grave to decay. Yahweh raised Him from the dead. Verse 35, therefore he also says in another passage, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. That's Psalm 16. The first one about the sure mercies is Isaiah 55 verse 3. You will not allow your Holy One to see decay is Psalm 16. Paul is echoing the Apostle Peter. They may have talked by this time as we've gotten all the way over here to Acts 13, but Peter brings up this same point in Acts chapter 2 where he talks about how David spoke of the Messiah and he speaks of the resurrection of the Messiah. It sounds like David's talking about himself, but he's not. David is speaking prophetically for the Messiah, for Yeshua. And the reason we know that is this. Verse 36, Paul makes his point. For David, after serving his own generation in Yahweh's plan, fell asleep. How many know in the Bible fell asleep is a euphemism for died. He died. Died is kind of blunt. A euphemism means you try to not make it sound so crude. And so in the Bible, when somebody died, it would say they fell asleep with their fathers. And so David, after he served in his generation, in his time, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers. And at the end of verse 36, Paul says, and he decayed. His body rotted. He's in the tomb. Peter in Acts chapter 2 says, David hath not ascended into the heavens. That kind of seems strange when compared to the modern day doctrine of people going to heaven when they die. David hasn't made it into the heavens. His sepulchre or his grave is with us, Peter said to this day. Paul makes the same point. After David served, he died and his body rotted. He saw decay. Verse 37, But the one whom Yahweh raised up did not decay. That's talking about David's descendants, Yeshua of Nazareth. It's all about the resurrection. That was the day that Psalm 2 verse 7, Yahweh said, You're my son, today I have brought you forth. Begotten you is fine, brought you forth is probably better because it gives us a better understanding. This is the point in a verse I quoted earlier. If you want to write there uh, by Acts 13, uh, 33, if you want to write Romans 1 verse 4, because it talks about how that Yeshua was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. See the life, death, and burial wouldn't mean what it means if not for the resurrection. The resurrection is the capstone. the resurrection of Yeshua is the capstone because he died, and it seemed like all hope was gone. but then Yahweh raised him from the tomb to immortality. He was mortal prior to that meaning able to die. Now Yeshua is immortal, meaning unable to die. you could not nobody could kill Yeshua if they tried. He's not able to die anymore. he's an immortal being now. so Paul is going to wrap up his salvation sermon, and in verse thirty eight Paul says, "Therefore let it be known to you, brothers that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you." Through what man? Through Yeshua. Through this man, you can receive the forgiveness for your sins. Why does it, you know, did you know that it it has to be through a man that we receive our forgiveness? Paul makes this point very clear in Romans chapter 5. He says that by one man came death, and so also by one man comes the resurrection of the dead. Therefore, let it be known to you that through this man, through Yeshua, the Savior that Yahweh brought, you can receive the forgiveness of your sins. Remember, Paul Paul is still up in the synagogue; he's still talking. He's probably motioning with his hands. Well, it does say he motioned with his hands and spoke, and he's probably turning around and he's talking to all the men in the synagogue. This isn't a pop. This might be a common in Christianity in our in our day and time in our culture. It may not ruffle a lot of feathers, but Remember, it wasn't a popular message to say that the Messiah was Yeshua of Nazareth in that synagogue that day. It wasn't a popular message. And then in verse 39, he says, And everyone who believes in Him is justified from everything which you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Now, Paul was a a law-keeping man. He was. Even after his conversion to the Messiah in uh, the book of Acts chapter 21, he was zealous for the law, right? He proved it by the getting with the Nazarites there in Acts 21. But Paul here is talking about justification. He's not talking about what we discussed last night, sanctification. Sanctification is the process whereby we become more and more holy walking in Yahweh's law. Justification is the process whereby we're declared innocent in Yahweh's court of law where he hammers the gavel down and he says, You're innocent. You're not guilty. I forgive you. Come into my kingdom. Through this man, Yeshua, you're justified by all things, from all things, which you could not be justified by, the law of Moses. The primary usage of the law of Moses is to show you that you're a sinner and is to show me that I'm a sinner. That's the primary usage of it. Praise Yahweh when He gives us a new heart and He makes us willing to want to obey. Then the law can also be used to teach us how we ought to live. And it does. But the primary usage is not for justification. There's there's not a person that's ever been born that was justified by the law. Minus one. And that was our brother, Yeshua of Nazareth. I was talking with Brother Danny the other day and you know, There's an old song that was written. When I grew up, I was around a lot of southern gospel singing. And the song said this, We have a heavenly Father up above with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. And He really cares when your head is bowed low. Consider the lilies and then you will know. We have a loving heavenly Father. Right, Brother Danny? He loves us. We have a loving heavenly Father. I told Brother Danny, I said, you know what? We also have a loving heavenly brother. See, Yeshua is our brother. He's our kinsman. He's our brother. Yahweh's our loving father, but Yeshua is our brother. He's our big brother that took our whooping for us from Almighty Yahweh. Praise the Father. He's called an apostle. I told somebody the other day, I said, I was reading the words of Apostle Yeshua. They said, what are you talking about? Apostle Yeshua. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says that Yeshua is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Do you know he's Yahweh's apostle? He's the one that Yahweh sent out. And then verse 2 says he was faithful to the one who appointed him. Who's that? That's Yahweh. Yahweh appointed him to that apostleship. And Yeshua was faithful. And he was justified by the law. Because he kept it perfectly. We were walking through the grocery store the other day, and I told David, we were talking about keeping the law and how that I'm a sinner and David's a sinner. I said, but you know Yeshua's not a sinner, David. I said, from the time he was born until he was 30, around 33 when he died and then he resurrected, he never committed any sin. David's eyes got big as Aggie marbles. He never sinned. He said, he never sinned, Daddy. I said, not according to the Bible, son. <clears throat> according to the Bible, the Bible says he knew no sin. The Bible says that Yahweh made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Yahweh in him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That amazed David. And it still amazes me because I wonder, he really didn't sin? Not at all? Well, if we believe the Bible, he didn't sin. And therefore he earned salvation. And he earned salvation for not just himself, but for all of those who put their trust in that man. As Peter, as Paul says in Acts 13, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him you're justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Verse 40. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Paul quotes from Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk chapter 1. And he says, Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. So Paul ends his salvation sermon by quoting from the prophet Habakkuk. And he tells the men of Judah there that day, the men of Israel, those that fear the Almighty, the proselytes, he says, make sure you don't scoff at the message that I just preached, Paul says. Because what the prophet Habakkuk said could happen to you. I'm doing a work in your day that you won't be able to believe it. In other words, Paul is saying if you scoff so much at this message, you won't be able to believe it even though somebody explains it to you. There are some things in the Bible. I talk to people all the time, out on the job especially. Um, I get a lot of comments about the tassels and that kind of generates into a conversation. And I share. I don't share forcefully, but I share. And it amazes me that people can't see certain things that the Bible teaches. It amazes me. But then we have passages like this, where there can come a point in somebody's life where you can explain something to them that's very plain in the Bible, but they won't be able to understand it because they've rejected the knowledge of the truth. The the Bible talks about that in Thessalonians. So I think sometimes we need to back off when we witness and let Yahweh do His work. Verse 42, as they were leaving, they begged that these matters be presented to them the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Judahites and the devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and persuading them to continue in the grace of the Almighty. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. But when the Judahites saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, It was necessary that the Almighty's message be spoken to you first. Remember, to the Judahite first, then also to the nations. He said, It was necessary we preached it to you first, but since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the nations, for this is what Yahweh has commanded us. I have appointed you as a light for the nations to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, And when the nations heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. This is a a salvation sermon preached by the Apostle Paul. One of the things, and I'll close with this, one of the things that I find interesting in this salvation sermon that you could listen to, if you were there that day, you could hear only the words that Paul preached right there, and you could receive those words, and you could be saved by those words. In those words, Paul doesn't say anything about a trinity. He doesn't say nothing about it. I listen to the radio and I listen to pastors talk about salvation and it seems like they always want to bring up the triune God, you know, co-equal, co-eternal and all of this. And another thing that Paul doesn't mention in the sermon, and I want to challenge you, you study this out. Paul doesn't not, doesn't say one word about Yeshua being Yahweh in that salvation sermon. It's a salvation sermon to the men of Israel. He's going to talk about what's most important. He doesn't say anything about Yeshua being Yahweh. Nothing about that's what you have to believe to be saved. But what he does say is this. He's a descendant of David. He's, Yahweh said to him, You are my son. Today I've brought you forth. Yahweh resurrected him from the dead. And it's through this man that you can receive the forgiveness of sins and by Him you're justified from all things that you couldn't be justified by the law of Moses. I love everybody. I appreciate everybody. And let's stand and close out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I love You. I thank You so much. I I appreciate all that You do for us, Father Yahweh. I pray that um, the Scriptures would uh, permeate into our brains and into our hearts and and um, Father Yahweh, if there's anything that I've said that's not correct, I pray that people would forget that and only believe what your scriptures teach. Uh, Thank you for all the saints here. I love everybody. And, Father, bring us back here next Sabbath to do it all over again. We, We greatly thank you and we praise you. It's through your Son, Yeshua, I pray. Amen.